As we kick off our new series, though, today, I got to thinking to set up this series. I got to thinking about you know, all the things that maybe in our life that we were told about life and humanity that weren't actually true, but they were passed down from generation to generation, kind of urban legends and myths and family things that we heard. And we heard them, and then we just kind of soaked it up and just said, well, I guess this is true. I put some of them in my notes. I think you'll be able to relate to some of these sort of old wise things that we were once told at one time. I remember growing up that I was told that uh, after I ate something, I needed to wait 30 minutes before I got back in the pool. Was anybody told that? That's garbage, man. That's not even a thing. I don't know why people believe that or were told that. I think it was some sort of scam our parents were running. I don't know. Some of you like now, you're like, that's not a thing? I thought that was a thing, because you were told. Here's another one. I would get a wound, you know, a gash or something in my, my skin, and my mom said, we've got to put hydrogen peroxide on it. Anybody here? That was, the, yeah, hydrogen peroxide. You know what they said? Don't do that. It damages your cells and lengthens the time it takes for the wound to heal. I know. We, I did that not long ago, and I just read that that's not a thing. It's not, don't do that. It dam- Your mama's damaged you. Like, I'm telling you what, mom, I know she's watching right now. She's watching online. Mom, I'm going to remember what you did to me. Oh, how about this one? Cracking your knuckles will give you, yeah, you... You heard that, and so you were scared to death. Like, whoo, I don't want. I know I need to crack them, but I don't really want to crack them because I don't want to get arthritis. And this science, it says it's not a thing. It's not real, not at all. I know it's a newsflash for some of you right now. You're going, what? I thought that was a thing. I thought what we should do right now, in the name of rebellion, for all the people that lied to us about cracking our knuckles, and some of you are knuckle cracker people. Let's just, on the count of three, all do it in rebellion together across the room. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Come on. Let's go. Ah, across the room. It's okay. You can, you can do it. Here's another one I was told. Ready? If you swallow your gum, it will take seven years to get through your digestive system. This is not real. Some of you held on to that gum because you were like, I don't want to, you know, and, and I thought I might have some things if they cut me open or did a colonoscopy or something that they would, it just wasn't true. There are all kinds of things that we believe, we absorb, we embrace, generations, culture, we accept it. We live it out. Before we know it, we're hydrogen peroxide dumping people and because we just heard it and thought it must be true, even though there was no data or science or anything to back it up. We're doing a series here at our church because there are all kinds of things that have been passed down from generation to generation and thoughts that people have, there, uh, have in their minds about what church is and isn't who it's for and who it's not for, that they've put in their mind and thought in their mind must be real, and it's not actually truth. And it's why we did the billboards. It said New Walk is for, because we we wanted to kind of debunk some things. We wanted to get some honesty and truth out there about, about what God designed the church to be for. And, and ultimately for us, 
when we started our church, it was very important for us to say, okay, if we want to know what, I've shared this many times over the years, but if we wanted to know what a church should be, we thought, well, what we need to do is look at the life of Jesus because Jesus was God. And so Jesus knew what the heart of God was and we wanted our church to embrace the heart of God. And so we kind of started a church that we thought would be one that would embrace the heart of God. And, and so we fought for that and it's been hard and we are not a perfect church and we've made a lot of mistakes over the years. But it has been our goal to say, okay, if you've never been to church before, you have a disdain about church or whatever it may be, that you could come to this place and you could still find a home and you could find a home no matter what life you've been living as well. And the choices and the decisions that you've made in your past that you could still find a place where people loved you. But did you know there are people outside the doors of this church, some of you very much know this because it was you, who think a certain way about church and you didn't want to go to church because you thought a certain way about church. Some of you, you crossed the line and you decided to come to church. Some of you maybe today, but you have thought or heard it thought that, well, you know, I, I don't know, church is really for kind of those people and I'm not one of those people. And church is for people that kind of have it all together and I don't have it all together, so I don't think I could ever go to church. And this is kind of one of these things that's in the minds of people and it, it, it happens and, and people will avoid a setting like this that we have here at our church because of some of those preconceived things and things that maybe they even encountered at one time or another and they say, that I, I can't be there. Jesus comes on the scene and he's doing this time here on earth. He was God. He was also known as a rabbi or, or a teacher. And he comes to bring clarity to the way that things have been going during that time. And here's, what, here's what's been happening during that time. During the time of Jesus' arrival, there has developed quite a chasm in humanity between sort of the religious, oh, they've got it all together, those people, and the people who were sinners are far from God and people who had made mistakes, this chasm is growing. And it's growing in such a way where this group over here, the kind of the church people, they just look and act and talk like they've got it all together and they say all the right things and do all the right things, at least on the surface. And then this group over here that's messy, uh, this group says we're not even ever going to be around them. We don't, we don't want to be near them. The chasm is growing and Jesus steps into that chasm and he says, I want to share with you, I want to debunk some things. I want to, I'm, he's kind of the knuckle cracker. He's coming into this thing going, hey, hey, you, you think that church or you think, not church, but you think God sees things this way, but I want to share with you the truth about how God sees things. And now fast forward to the year 2023. This problem still exists. Uh, the church people, they're, they're, they, it's those people, and, and, and I'm not like them, and so I, I got to stay away. And the church people say, and you're not like us, and, and, and we kind of look down maybe at the people who don't go to, who aren't Christian, and, and, you know, and, and we think maybe at times we're a little above other people who maybe aren't believers, and, and it can happen. And some of you, you don't see it yet because you're a little newer to the faith, and, and some of you who've been around the faith a long time, you're in such a bubble that you don't even know that it's kind of this aura that sometimes a church can put off. And it happens from Newark, it happens from other churches as well. And so it's always this battle to say, no, what would Jesus want us to be? Who would he want us to be? He spent time 
debunking, and many times he would start out those phrases and sentences. If you studied the Bible, you read where Jesus said many times he would say this phrase, you've heard it said, but. You've heard it said, but. This is, this is the moment many times in scriptures where Jesus is like, people are kind of operating this way, but I represent God, I am God, I want to tell you the truth about how God sees it, you know, and so over and over he would say, you've heard it said, but like one time, you know, to get to the understanding that it was about the heart, not about the superficial facades that people were putting on, one time Jesus said, uh, you've heard it said, you know, and he was talking about like adultery, let's say. And that, you know, people thought, well, adultery is just this act of not kind of crossing this line and engaging in something with somebody who is not our spouse. And Jesus says, well, you've heard it said that, but here's the truth about adultery. It starts in the heart, and if you've lusted after another woman, you've committed adultery. He got real personal in that moment, and what he was doing was letting us know it's about the heart. But he was also saying, you're trying to kind of just follow the rules and put on kind of a show, but I want to get past all of that and deal with the heart. I put in your notes. If we're not careful, you know, we'll put on this show at at church and as church people that people believe this lie. Church people must have it all together, and if I'm going to go there, i got to have it all together. There's a perception amongst unbelievers and unchurched people, there's a perception of perfection. And you and I, I wrote this in your notes, the truth is church people are dealing with all kinds of struggles on the inside just like everybody else in the community. How many of you know this? Like, like, now the difference is we have Jesus walking with us and he takes us, leads us through these struggles and brings us out the other side and and we can be oftentimes stronger out on the other side. But, and so we have that for sure. That's, that's a big deal for us. But we all deal with struggles inside the church and outside the church. But people outside the church, they think, man, I, I don't know that I could, I don't know that I could be there. I don't know that, that that's for me. I, I remember my time in a, stepping into kind of a, a church experience. It was kind of a, a, a different setting than New Walk, but... I remember going and visiting a church, uh, kind of a gospel-centered church, but I, I remember thinking, because uh, I, I was unchurched and a lot, really, I was, and, and I remember thinking, I don't know that I belong here. Because <laughs> I looked around and there was things going on there in the church like that just were foreign to me, and they almost presented like, these people do have it all together. The, the people were all dressed up, and I didn't really have, you know, those kind of outfits or whatever, and so I felt like a little underdressed, so I started like, I'm, I don't know if I, I fit in, and I, and I walked in the doors, and, and there's like people in robes, and right away, you know, you look at that, and you're like, well, I could never wear a robe, you know, like I guess that's really important people, and, and, and then they had these golden chairs on the stage. <sighs> I know I could never sit in the golden chair. And wow, wow, look at that. And you leave and you're walking out the hall and they got their Christianese language and they're talking things and I don't know their language. And then they speak in this very sweet way that I didn't clearly understand. Hey, brother, how you doing, brother? What are you doing today, brother? Let's go to the fellowship together. What? You know, and, and so I just hear this and I'm going, I don't know, I don't know even that I fit in in this moment. Some of you, you 
you've seen what I'm talking about. Some of you grew up in a situation where you had to look a certain way and act a certain way and be a certain way and follow all of these rules. And that's all that really mattered when it came to your church experience. We thought we would start out this week by saying New Walk is for liars because we wanted people to know that they can come into a place and they can come into a church where though they have been living a lie and have been living in a dishonest way in their life and they have not found the truth for their life, that they could come to a place where they could encounter the truth about their life and come before God with an honesty about their life. We wanted to create that kind of environment. We wanted to create an environment where church people would be willing to finally say, okay, I don't want to live that way any longer. I want to be honest about what's going on in my own life. We all struggle with dishonesty. Everybody in this room does. How do I know everybody in this room does? If you got a driver's license... <laughs> Man, you went to the DMV and they asked you for your weight and you lied. You just did. There is a number on that license that you gave them that is not, was not real. But you know, we do this in the Christian realm, don't we? we, we people come up to us and they say, uh, how you doing? And you say, I'm fine. Everything's good. Your marriage is broke, but, but yeah, everything's fine. Uh, you know, we just got, we got to put on the facade. We got to be... We got to be a little bit dishonest maybe about how we're doing and it's, I, I get it, it's not easy to be honest and admit I got a problem. I mean, this is not an accepted thing in our culture. It's still like a, you know, we, nobody's putting on their resume, hire me, I'm a broken mess. Nobody's doing that. In fact, this is another place we lie a lot on is our resumes. Like, I mean, we really fluff it up. Because we want to put on a perception, right? When somebody gets that resume, we want somebody to think some kind of way about it. So we don't aspire to be honest about our brokenness. And in the boardroom, we're not going to aspire to talk about our brokenness. And at church, unfortunately, we can create environments where there's not a desire to be truthful about our life. And on top of that, we are in the most throwaway culture in history. First of all, if anything breaks now, we just go buy a new one. It's disposable. We, we don't fix it. You know, we just, just go buy another one. Some of you are like, no, I fixed it. Okay. But most of us, like, it, it's throwaway. Go buy a new one, go buy a new one, go buy a new one. We're throwaway with humanity. If somebody's messy, stay away, man. If somebody is going to require a lot of attention, Stay away. We do it with elderly. Our families, our parents, they're getting a little heavy. Like They need to go off over here. We do it with the unborn children. Oh, we don't need that. We don't need that. And so we have entered into a throwaway culture at some of the highest levels ever before. And so when you combine the need to hide along with the throwaway culture that says, I don't want to be around somebody who's broken, it becomes very hard for then us to want to admit our own struggles. There was a book uh, called Lord Break Me. It was written by Will McDonald. He said this. He said, usually when something is broken, its value declines or disappears altogether. Broken dishes, broken bottles, broken mirrors are generally scrapped. Even a crack in the furniture or tear in the cloth greatly reduces its resale value, but it isn't this way. This is not how it works in the spiritual realm. God puts a premium on broken things, especially broken people. And so we have to flip the script in our mind and our understanding of what it is that God wants for us and from us and 
in our life and the honesty about our life, not a facade, but a truth and an honesty. I wrote in your notes, God puts a premium on honesty, and it's an honesty that comes from the, the inside. You can put that up on the screen if they didn't already. It, it's, it's, a, it's an honesty, but not an honesty born out of a facade, which isn't honest. But what's going on really in the heart? Psalm 34 and verse 18 says this. The Lord is near. He's near to who? The who? The brokenhearted. These are, this is honesty. This is somebody who's willing to admit a, a brokenness going on in their life. It, it doesn't say he's close to the fakers. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. To help you see this a little more clearly, I thought I would highlight this moment in history that is so radical and so powerful, but yet captures the heart of who God really is in Luke chapter 7. There's this moment where Jesus is going through Bethany, and uh, as is a custom, if a rabbi or teacher was traveling into your town, uh, you would potentially, you would invite them in for a dinner. And Jesus is invited in to this home as a visiting rabbi by a man by the name of Simon, and he's a Pharisee. And that's important to note because a Pharisee is somebody who was over here. He was the religious, put on the show, kind of, I'm following all the rules, I'm looking the part kind of guy. A biblical scholar for sure, but, but this is, he goes, he's invited for dinner into this guy's home. Now, here's what we know as we study this and we're going to go through this. What you're going to find is that though he is inviting Jesus to dinner, his heart's not really in it. Like He's kind of just kind of going through the motions. His heart is not in on this moment. And I guess I could kind of understand why his heart's not in it because, well, Jesus has been bashing his kind of people. I mean, he called them snakes because the way they snake put on a show and the way that they're operating, living in their life and yet rejecting all these people who need God the most. Jesus has been claiming he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, and that was a bold claim as well. And so he's probably not really excited about that because Jesus represents something that undoes everything that he has in place in his religious orchestrated system. And so now all of a sudden Simon the Pharisee is going to have dinner with Jesus and we know his heart's not in it for other reasons. We see as we go through the texts and other texts about this, this moment in history, what we find is, well, that it would have been customary that when Jesus entered the home, he would have been greeted as a guest with a kiss on the cheek. And Simon the Pharisee did not do that with Jesus. It would have also been customary that you would give him an opportunity to wash his feet before he kind of gets to the table and starts eating. And we find that that was not really offered at all in any way, shape, or form to Jesus. There's no bucket of water offered. There's no towel, anything. It's just... He invites him in. It would have also been standard and, and would have cost a little bit, but, but the man, Simon the Pharisee, would have, as been custom, probably given uh, some olive oil for an anointing on Jesus, and, and that was not done. It's just sort of like going through the motions. I'm just putting on the show and doing whatever it is that I need to do. And so Jesus comes in for dinner, but then something happens. This thing goes from zero to 100 quick. A prostitute walks in the house. Let's look at what it says. Verse 36, 
when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus, he went to the Pharisee's house. He reclined at the table. It's sort of like I get this vibe where he's like, I know what's about to happen. Like, you know, Jesus is going, this is, this is things about to get amped up. A woman in the town that lived a sinful life, we know from other texts and studies, we know based on this text alone that what her life was. She, was a, she lived a sinful life and she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. The Pharisee would have seen her enter the house and go, this is awful. You are defiling the house. There are other guests there, and you are embarrassing us. You, you are messy, and you need to get away. But there was something about the situation where she felt like, I know it's going to be uncomfortable for everybody, and maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable for me. I don't care. I'm going in that house. She knew that somehow, despite what people thought, that this was important for her to get over to see Jesus. And so she enters in the house, and probably... This beautiful setting that's about to take place wouldn't have happened if Jesus wasn't in the house. And so clearly it was important for her to know that Jesus was in the house. And so Jesus is there. I got to be there by Jesus. And I think that's so important for us to remember in the year 2023. When people really know that Jesus is in the house, they will want to come. That's why we make sure that we want people to know. And you're here this morning. Jesus is in the house. We're glad you're here no matter what's going on. She comes to this place where, though it's awkward for other people, she pushes past all of that noise. She's a throwaway. That's what she is. In that culture, she's a throwaway. She's an outcast. She is not worthy of being there. But she goes in anyways. Jesus is at the table. If you were there then and you were living during that time, you may have sat there and said, this is embarrassing. Then it goes on and says this. She stood behind him, his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. This is a portrait of a woman who's feeling like you could see in this moment that she needs to open up. And she is opening up. Uh, And I can only imagine what the scene looks like as she's There at the feet of Jesus, we're going to find out his feet are dirty. Her head is low. Uh, The weight of the stairs are upon her, right? You could just imagine this in your mind that as people are looking at her, there's this feeling of condemnation being pointed towards her, embarrassed people by her presence, but not Jesus. That's not how Jesus sees it, and he knows that she's hurting, and he senses That he knows because he's God, the struggles that she's going through. And in turn, she begins to sense that maybe there's something different about this man. And maybe it was the way he looked at her. Maybe it was something that he said to her, uh, however she encountered in her interaction with Jesus. But she knew that she could be there and that she could open up and be truthful about what she's gone through in her life. She is welcomed by Jesus in this moment. She's undone in the moment that despite her brokenness, the honesty could pour out in this setting even though we don't have to ask where she'd been the night before. We know what she was doing the night before. She still felt like she could come to Jesus' feet. I thought a new billboard we could make is like New Walk is the place where you can come where you may have been someplace last night. But you can come here and And know that you could be at the feet of Jesus. 
And, and I think that is important because being at the feet of Jesus allows us to encounter forgiveness. But don't miss this. You know, Jesus did encounter sinners like this and broken people like this regularly in the text. But you need to know it was so that they could be drawn to him, experience forgiveness, and then go away and live different. It wasn't so they could go away and keep living the way they've been living. It's come to me, encounter forgiveness, I'll go and live a different way. Always was like that. But she finds this opportunity and her tears are flowing and they're hitting the ground and they're hitting his feet. And when they hit his feet, it reveals something. There's these streaks that begin to appear on his feet and what are those streaks? It's streaks of mud caused by uh, being revealed by her tears. And she knows now what she needs to do is, is... Feet haven't been washed and her tears are pouring out. It's revealing all kinds of things in her life. And I put this in, in my notes. It's not in yours. But isn't it interesting that tears are about the only thing that you can get in your eyes that actually allow you to see more clearly? She sees clearly and she knows she wants to wash his feet. She, she's got to figure out a way to do it because she does not even feel worthy of asking the Pharisee for a towel. It's not, I can't even talk to that guy because it's just not, doesn't seem possible. It says this, then she wiped his feet. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. She lets down her hair in this very intimate type setting. And she's using her hair to, and her tears to wash the feet and then uses her hair to dry his feet. And then she uses this perfume that would have been reserved for this profession that she had been involved in, a bottle, this thing of perfume that she would have probably had around, you know, around her neck, one drop she would use for every man she had been with in her profession. She takes that bottle and dumps it all out on Jesus' feet. A portrait of a pouring out, a portrait of I'm pouring it out all on the line here before you Jesus, it's a portrait of being willing to go before God and say, here I am, God. I don't want to lie. I want to be honest with you. I'm a mess. I'm broken. I no longer want to ignore the issues going on in my life. I don't want to hide the pain. This is me, God. I need your help. I need something more in life. No more games. What was seemingly an inappropriate moment to others, a reckless moment, a very impulsive moment, Jesus sees it as a moment of humility and honesty, and he sees it as something beautiful. While she's seen as something beautiful, though, there's a guy over here representing sort of like the church people that says, we don't want that around us. One person, though, encountering Jesus in a powerful way, another one not encountering him at all. My question to you this morning, who would you rather be? In this moment in history that was recorded, who, who would you rather be? Would you rather be Simon the Pharisee, who's a well-respected man? People really think highly of him because it seems like he's got all of his stuff together. He's looked up to by people, has a nice home. Would you like to be him? Or how about the prostitute in the story who is broken and honest about it, who's experiencing the love and the grace of Jesus Christ and this very powerful type scenario that maybe she could live out 
in honesty before God over and over again. And if I shared that with you and I said, who would you rather be? It's kind of a trick question because I think a lot of us would think about it and say, well, I wouldn't mind being a little bit of both. You know, I would like to be looked up to. I would like humanity to think something about me in some kind of way. I really would like people to like me, but I also would like to be able to have an occasion where I encounter God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness as well. I'd like to be a little bit of both. And the problem with that is you can't be both. You can't desire and crave the satisfaction of humanity that will like you all the time and look up to you all the time and at the same time find that grace and love and forgiveness by being honest and humble before the feet of Jesus because over time what happens is your flesh takes over. Your flesh says, I want people to like me. I like that people like me and I want to be more of a people pleaser and you slowly start to roll in that facade and you forget to be honest more and more at the feet of Jesus when in actuality the position that God wants for us and our journey with him is always at Jesus' feet. Always willing to be honest and humble before him. I put in your notes, the doorway is really right appearance before God, not humanity. And right appearance before God is a constant honesty and brokenness before God. The doorway to experiencing the wholeness that God has had for us is continually at his feet being honest. It's where we discover more and more value. Every time you come to the feet of Jesus Christ, you discover the, the value God sees in you. You discover his love for you more and more than ever before. You discover more and more purpose for your life when you stay in that mode. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. Don't you think it's possible that there are people in our community that think that we think that about them? We don't necessarily want that around us. Jesus, Jesus said to the woman, he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That portrait of healing and restoration. Not go and do what you've been doing. But now you've discovered forgiveness. Go and live in a very different and peaceful way. The Pharisee is sitting there thinking, she ought to be embarrassed for herself. She, look what she's doing. She's, and the reality is, he's the one that ought to be embarrassed. He doesn't know it. He's been living this way so long, he can't, he can't even see how embarrassing he is. And you know what makes his situation even more embarrassing is because of this Pharisee nature that he has. Like, this guy is a Bible whiz. He knows the law, the prophets. He knows the things that we have in the Old Testament since the day he was born, man. They've been telling him. He's been studying it. He knows it inside and out. He can recite it. And you know what's in that text that he learned and studied so much? About three to 400 prophecies that talk about hundreds of years before Jesus' arrival, what he would be like, He'd be born of a virgin, all the things that were taking place, and Jesus, one after another, matches all of those prophecies. He doesn't even know, even though he studied it and he's a Bible whiz, that the Messiah is sitting at his table. He ought to be embarrassed. But he thinks she ought to be embarrassed. But before you go looking at him as dumb and arrogant and jerky, what about us? I could say to you, here's a sermon, well, let's call it Be Broke. 
But I don't think that's right because we already are broke. We, all, we already do fall short. Really, the portrait we get here is not that I'm broke, but I'm willing to be broken. I'm willing to be honest before my heavenly Father. We see this house. Inside the house, there's a Pharisee who's living a lie that wants to hide it, a prostitute who's been living a lie but now wants to deal with it, a house that seemed so perfect on the outside but on the inside is filled with people who need to be honest, and, and, and that's us as well. I put in your notes, we admit our brokenness, and when we do, it appeals to God's compassion and power. It's through this honesty you and I experience the real truth about God's compassion and the power that he brings to our life. Psalm 51 and verse 17, here's what I have for you, God. Ready? My sacrifice, oh God, here's what I have for you. I'm bringing this to the table to you, God. Ready? A broken spirit. A contrite heart. God, you won't despise that. Oh, but what does God think about arrogance and pride? James 4, 6, God opposes the proud and the arrogant and the dishonest people. And he gives grace to those who regularly humble themselves before God. One time Jesus went to Nazareth, his hometown, and he went there to do some miracles. And the Bible says, if you've studied this, the Bible says that in Jesus' hometown, it says he could not perform any miracles there. Think about that. He'd been doing miracles everywhere, but he went to his hometown to visit and the Bible says he could not perform any miracles. It doesn't say he wouldn't perform. That's not what it said. It says he could not. And the reason he could not is because the people there were prideful and arrogant. And it's a portrait of if you want the miracle of God, if you want the forgiveness and the love and the grace and to continually be encountering in that, that in your life, it's a portrait that says, I'm not going to put up the walls of pride. I'm willing to talk about what I'm going through. I'm willing to talk about it with God and humble myself and be vulnerable. Being vulnerable is key and deep down inside we know we have issues. The question is, will we be vulnerable? It says this uh, in this TED talk that Brene Brown did, says this, the biggest potential for helping us overcome shame is this. We are those people. The truth is we are the others. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair away from being those people. The ones we don't trust, the ones we pity, the ones we don't let our kids play with, the ones, bad, the ones that bad things seem to happen to, and the ones we don't even want living next door. We are them. But we don't see it. We don't see it, but we are them. We are the ones who hurt, who, who ignore the hurts of others as long as all of our needs are taken care of. We are the ones that yell at people in the car on the way to church and then tell our kids to get out of the car and smile. We are the people that think somehow God is impressed because we came up with some list of religious rules that we follow that aren't even in the Bible, but we think we're okay because we followed all of these rules all the while we judge others. 
We are the people who fight to keep up our appearances. We are the people who look down at others that are not like us. We are the people that take out big loans and big credit cards and big card payments to impress people and put on a show. We are the people that log on to porn. We are the people who have such anger issues that we punch holes in the wall. We are the people that go online and social media and put on an elaborate thing out online so that everybody will think something about us that we maybe really aren't. We are the people that leave a church like this and because the parking lot's so busy, we flick off and cuss out the parking team. And it's true and it happens, but before we get upset about that and giggle and think things about that, you are those people. In some way or another, there's something that we're hiding, folks. We are the most addicted people in human history. Addictions to hide things. We are the most prescribed drug people in human history to deal with our messiness. There's a lack of wholeness. It's hard to come to terms with this, and at a young age, you're, you're taught to hide brokenness. One time, my parents were gone, and I knocked over a knickknack off of their shelf because we were horse playing. And then the knickknack shattered, and I grabbed some super glue, and I pieced it all back together, and I put it on the shelf and just hoped that they wouldn't notice. They're watching this right now online. They're going to their shelf to go look for that <laughs> knickknack. I just outed it right there, but where? Hide it so mom and dad don't see it and something breaks in the house and you blame it on your brother or your sister. I didn't break it. I, it's not me. Brokenness is hidden regularly in our, in our lives. It's a tough talk to hear. It's a tough talk to hear about needing to be honest, to be at the feet of Jesus, church people, anybody. But it also comes with a beautiful portrait of the gospel playing out in an instant at that table. That if you're willing to come to the feet of Jesus and be honest, in an instant you can find forgiveness and love and grace and go in peace. And it's available to you on a weekend just like this here at New Walk. And you need a place. I put this in your notes. You need a place to be vulnerable. And the less broken people you have around you, the less likely you are to see it in yourself. And we get in our bubbles and... And we get people around us who we're not willing to talk about some of those struggles and then we stop seeing it in our own life. And I valued since the very first day of our church and 17 years ago when we started it that this could be a place where people who are hurting and broken would be able to come and know that they were in the right place. I'll never forget one of our first weekends and I had been praying, hey God, send us people who are broken and hurting. And it was like God revealing to us in those first weekends, you asked for it, <laughs> here they are. And God sent them, and, and I remember one of the weekends, we had a 10.30 service, is all we had in the first at the beginning, and after the 10.30 service, this guy comes out, and, and I've shared this one other time, but this guy comes out, and he greets me, and he says, that was a great bleeping message, and the alcohol on his breath is pouring out, and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, who is this? And then I thought at the same time, God, this is exactly who we asked for this is what we wanted. It's okay. I don't know whether he remembered what I preached that weekend, but yeah, here they are. Do you know this? This is the truth. We have literally had, I've had people tell me this directly. I don't want to keep attending your church because I don't like having those people there. It has happened on several occasions. I've heard it. To my face. 
I'd rather go to this church where it's these people instead. I can tell you as long as I'm pastor, we're going to try to create a place where though you may have had a rough night the night before, you can come to New Walk and hear about the grace and love of Jesus Christ. I hope you'll get involved in a small group. Groups are where we connect with others. They're not necessarily always a struggle session, but they are a gathering for people to, to just discover a little bit more about what's going on in our lives. Again, I mentioned this earlier, but if you haven't signed up for a group, get involved in a group. Isaiah 53 and verse 5 says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. That word wounded literally dialed down to what it means. It means broken, but what it means is broken blood vessels. When Jesus was on the cross, this is one of those prophecies that became reality. His body was broken in such a way, this is a portrait of like broken blood vessels. And then when you study that word wounded, it's a portrait of like those blood vessels actually being pieced back together. And in a real way, Jesus Christ pierced his body broken on the cross, but in a spiritual way, you and I, we've had things happen in life and our lives have been broken and damaged, but when Jesus rose from the dead, it was a portrait that those veins and those vessels of brokenness in your life actually come back together and start flowing again, that when you come to the feet of Jesus because of Jesus, life begins to flow in those veins that were once feeling like they were dead. When you come to the feet of Jesus, a restoration, not just about the life that God has for you going forward, but eternal life as well. Kintsugi art, I shared this a couple of uh, years ago, Japanese kintsugi art. Some of you know about it. What is it? It's when something is broken and pieced back together. They piece it back together like a cup or a glass or a vase or something, and uh, they use gold and things like that to, to piece it back together. And, and so some of you know this, that um, this is uh, uh, something where th this, this stuff is very valuable. And I, this particular piece I pulled offline sells for $21,000 pieced back together. It is worth more in this broken and restored state than it is when it was in its wholeness before it was broken. I got a feeling right now my parents are at home like, where's that knickknack? Maybe it's worth a lot. <laughs> but that's the portrait of our faith. That though we have been broken, that God brings a restoration. And when those moments happen, happen, you find more value than you ever knew before. And more grace and love and power and strength for your life than you ever knew that you had. And he wants to do a work in you and I regularly like this. Constantly, consistently piecing things back together. For those who are not prideful and arrogant, he does that for us. In New Walk, our desire is to be a place that you could gather for strength. I put this last thing in your notes. A place you could gather together for strength. We need strength, encouragement every week together, but be honest about whatever it is that you're dealing with. New Walk is for liars, but we want people to come to a place where they bring that dishonesty and say, God, now I want to be honest before you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and God, the life of your son, Jesus Christ, that if we want to know 
who Jesus cares about. It's written over and over in the scriptures that God, you care about broken people. God, you can't do business with prideful and arrogant people, but you do business with people who are willing to come to your feet, people who are finally willing to take those lies and put them aside and be honest. Well, I pray there's a believer here right now. They're making a decision to bring something to your feet, and they can do that right now. Jesus is in the house. You can just imagine in your heart and your mind that you're bringing something to his feet right now. And you'll sense that love and that feeling that that woman had, that there's a care and that there's a God who cares for us. Others of you, you've never come to the feet of Jesus ever in your life. You're in the right place. You can do it right now. Imagine you've walked in that house and you're there and you sense that God cares about you and he loves you. And you can pour out to him right now, God, I I want to be forgiven. I want to live differently. God says that if you'll accept the gift of my son, Jesus Christ, who didn't just live on this earth, he died on the cross and rose from the dead. If you'll trust that he offers and poured out forgiveness for the sins of humanity and believe in him for salvation, that you can be forgiven like that woman and millions and billions and squillions of people since then. You can make that decision today and have a relationship with God starting now. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.